Good day, everyone, and welcome to Indie Mixtape. Uh, welcome to 2024, and we are transitioning to a new format where we're going to be interviewing indie devs once a month as well. And to start us off, we have some of the folks from Outer Loop Games here with us, uh, Meghna Jayanth and Chandana Ekayat. Eka Nayaki. I'm sorry, I really fucked that. <laughs> sorry. sorry. Oh, but welcome, y'all. I was really, really excited to have you. Yeah, we're so excited to be here. It's a lovely yeah, way to you. start the year. Um, so I guess just to start, let's um let's get into outer loop. How did it come to be? Uh the studio? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's see. I guess we're what seven, no, six or seven years old. No, I can't remember what what year it is anymore. But um... <laughs> years are fake, <laughs> especially the last several years. Yeah, yeah. We're fully let's see, fully remote. Uh, started about six years ago. Crew um, uh, of fourteen, fifteen now, spread across uh, four cities. No, I'm sorry, seven cities, four continents. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, before the trend to start remote. I think we we were doing it mostly out of wanting to work with folks around the world and different time zones and and wanting to tell stories about underrepresented culture and themes was a goal of ours. And our first game we did was Falcon Age that Megan and I worked together on with the rest of the team. And then I think at that time when we started it was about six or seven to eight people. And then for when we started Thirsty Suitors, we went up to fifteen. Yeah, and then which which just shipped, which took about three years. So yeah, two games, six ish years in uh, in business. I mean, honestly, those numbers are I feel like pretty solid for indie dev these days. Like y'all, y'all have two games and haven't haven't collapsed, haven't had any uh, major issues so far. Um, how have you found the transition? I guess from doing kind of work with larger studios like on Morrowind and that kind of thing to running your own smaller studio? Yeah, I mean, doing a lot more things, I guess, uh, throughout the day, and it, it varies depending on the week. Um, Ick is a full jack of all trades, by the way. Like, so he cuts our trailers and, and does does so much of the other, like, you know, all, all, of, the, all of the business stuff, which is terrifying. <laughs> it's not so bad once you get used to it. I think, you know, having a, a lot of good, great crew, um, to support you it's been good i mean running the studio has been kind of a, a collaborative uh, job as well so it's everyone has their role and i have mine and um, we try to make it work but it's really we the biggest thing is like the keep the team focus is has been our effort so you know i think we switched to four day work weeks like i don't know almost three years ago that's been really nice um, so i mean it, trying to focus on the team first and then of course, the game that comes out of it, because we feel like if the team is happy and can work together over a number of games, then we'll be better at making games event um, as well. So, I, I have to say, this is this has been like the most be- <clears throat> beautifully kind of organized and, and produced um, project I've been on, which is you know uh, down to Aka and the team, and you know the the whole team really, and 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 the kind of structure of it. Like we've hit we hit all of our milestones, um, and nobody burnt out, which. Uh, I think is you know I really love to talk about because I think um, it's great to to kind of show that as a as a model for how you can how you can make games and also give a shit about people um, and also like uh, and also kind of think about business as well because you know especially for me um, you know I'm so much more in, and you know I think a lot of indie developers have this thing of we're here to make art and we just want to make our you know our cool little work. Um, and, you know, we want to ignore all of the, the corporate shit going on over there and all of the financialization, but our work is so impacted by that. And I think you're seeing with, like, increasing platformization and stuff, if, we're, if we don't um, learn a little bit about business um, and be smart about it, you know, um, the space for our work is just being so squeezed. So, um, yeah. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. 
I wanted to know too, Eka, you have like a very specific message and mission of like supporting and uplifting like your fellow marginalized devs. So like, what is the, I guess, day-to-day work of doing that? Like, what does that look like? How do you all approach that? I mean, it's with our own games too, right? With Thirsty Suitors, um, which is something we were uh, talking about while Falcon Angel was uh, being developed. 2017, 2018, I think, when we first started thinking about it. Um, so that, I mean, Thirsty, if for those who haven't played it, it's a pretty eclectic game of uh, characters and themes and uh, mechanics. So, I mean, the, a lot of the work is, is what we put into it and that the game is because of what the team brings to it. You know, all, every like, there's definitely, a, um, I want to say... A piece of everyone, I think it's pretty visible on the team. Uh, you know, and the game game is definitely a collection of what people wanted to what they what they like and um, what they're passionate about. So that's there, and then at the same time, we do a lot of outreach with other uh, devs that, you know, like for example, we work with Annapurna on this project, so we'll do introductions to folks that need, you know, publishers or need to meet somebody they don't know, um, or give feedback on on pitches or designs and things like that. And that's kind of just the ongoing work and more community work alongside trying to make a game too. Um, going off of what you said about thirsty suitors and it's it's very eclectic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also very different from uh, Falcon Age. So where, I guess, how did you all go from anti-colonial sci-fi game to like skateboarding dating rpg with like magical realism (laughs) how did Uh, we yeah i mean it started with a simple concept of like hey let's tell a story about this uh brown bisexual woman which by itself as a as a lead character for a game isn't something we see too much of and um and she's a you know she's a failed girl she's very complex uh and she's just trying to, you know, go through life. And that's really where we started. And we're talking about sort of what the perspective is. And then expanded from there over a number of years. Yeah, I think, um, and you know, I think initially we started with something much more like sociocultural and, and you know, because um, I think we, we, we kind of talked about this earlier, like, but we kind of started trying to maybe think think about making a game about arranged marriage and a little bit like a card game, a bit like, you know, Slay the Spire, but something a little bit more kind of narrative. And then it, over time, it just became this much more personal story um, and one that was deeply kind of character driven. Um, and I think actually, you know, um, in in some ways you can see that you can see the the kind of heart of it like yes falcon age is a little bit more like overtly political anti-colonialist um but i think the focus on um family and kind of south asian family also like immigrant experience uh you know these are all these are all things that like in the wider context of the industry industry it's still i think quite anti-colonialist um you know quite kind of challenging work like come inhabit a brown queer woman is still quite a challenging ask to the like the mainstream of the games industry. So, um, you know, I think I I think I think that it felt that that also feels kind of kind of radical. But um, I think it was really I think it was really important for us to um, just focus on telling this one story and not feel overburdened by the idea of oh we need to tell every single brown story in this game. This is Jala's specific story, um, you know, and, and I think that's also part of the way we navigate the the pressure that exists by there not being too many stories like this though wonderfully this year we came out with venba as well which is you know another south asian story about um cooking which is like super exciting right like when has that happened in the industry ever so with uh thirsty suitors i saw a tweet i don't remember if you actually made it meg or if it was just something you retweeted but it was like it's wild to me that people are having a harder time embodying Jala as a shitty girlfriend than as like a murderer. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess what was, what was your like behind the scenes process of like telling this story? Cause it's not just a bisexual Brown woman. She's like kind of a shitty bisexual (laughs) Brown woman. (laughs) Yeah. 
as someone who was like a shitty queer person in their earlier times, I deeply related to Jala, but mm-hmm. a lot of people seem to not. So this, so this is this is a really funny one because I don't, you know, and Eka, feel free to like jump in here, but I don't think we initially, you know, we were trying to be like super challenging and be like, oh, let's embody someone, um, you know, someone who's an anti-hero or anything like that. Um, but, you know, I think I think in some ways it maybe came out of the, the mechanics of battling your exes and this idea of kind of emotional confrontation. And I do think that there's something really, really wonderful about, like, A, the reality of being queer in a small town. It's generally messy. <laughs> you know, everyone's dating everybody else. Um, and kind of, you know, and I think, I think there is something very truthful about the idea of like, you know, structural pressure. So like whether you're queer or whether you're immigrant, whether you're a racial minority or in any other way, um, and you have all of this like societal pressure around you, generally, you know, you, you don't become graceful about handling all of that until you've kind of made some mistakes, um, and learned from them. Uh, but I do think, I do find, think it's really interesting that, that, um, I think especially in the dating sim context, people are so used to playing protagonists who are just, you know, aspirational and, you know, really good. Um, And, you know, I think the idea is, oh, other people might wrong you and you might forgive them. But I think this idea of, no, you've wronged people and you're searching for forgiveness, um, I think is so much more real, right? Because the whole game is about um, reconciliation um, and making mistakes and and kind of... um, being accountable but no one is no one's really a bad person and neither is jala she's just she's just fucked up a little you know but that 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 still makes doesn't make her she's still like she's still worthy of love in a way i think i think that's something we figured out early on because initially the exes were going to be a lot meaner and you had a choice of either befriending them or uh, you know frenemies and we Early on, we figured out, like, I think our playtest with Sergio. Sergio is the first uh, boyfriend that you face in the demo or um, in, the, in the game. It's Jala's third grade boyfriend. I mean, I don't know. If it's boyfriend. boyfriend but, like, <laughs> first kiss. His first kiss. Not Jala's. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and then I think Magna had originally written Sergio to be a, a real dick, I think. And then people, I think, fell in love with him and started feeling for him. And also just, like, with the art that Vijay and our team did. And then, you know, I think with each playtest, you kind of soften up Sergio to the point where, like, what if it's just about reconciliation? Which means, you know, it's not just Sergio that has issues to deal with. It's also Jala. And, like, what does Jala learn about herself through all her, you know, six sexes along the way? Yeah, exactly, right? And and I think that's such a more, that's such a more um, satisfying narrative arc for the player to inhabit, I think, right? Um, and I think you really see with each of the exes, she learns something about herself and there's this, there's this kind of slow growth that is what allows her to finally confront, you know, Tyler, who's the one that she's really wronged the most um, towards the end, and then also battle kind of her grandma as well, right? Um, but yeah, people love Sergio. And I do think that I do, do think there's something to think about with like the affordances of games as well, when you're spending time so much time with someone when the art is so compelling. Um, and you're, you know, th- they're one of the main characters of the game, people want to love them. So um, yeah, I think you really kind of have to think about what kind of story you tell with with that, um, with that kind of approach. Yeah, and and the game's about emotional stakes, and there isn't yeah. like Magna, but there isn't really the big bad evil person. I mean, I guess Grandma comes close. But... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you love her too because she's your family. Yeah, exactly. yeah. You know who she is. She knows who she. Is. She knows who she is exactly. I think it's it's interesting. Like someone asked us um, a while back um, whether, uh, you know, whether you you can choose to not reconcile with your family, right? And and I do think that it's quite an interesting interesting question and in this game um you know it is just about reconciliation there is a truth to you know it's you know and we're not saying like all families should be reconciled with um but in jala's case that's true but the really nice thing is because we also have all of these other characters and with the other suitors we play out different kinds of family dynamics so with dia for instance you know um her family actually kicks her out once she comes out and there is no kind of reconciliation there. So, you know, I think we, we still, um, we still represent 
the truth of the complexity of these kinds of experiences. Um, but Jala's particular story is one of reconciliation. Yeah, which kind of goes back to another theme. I think we talk about uh, we talked about weekly about like you know this isn't a game we're trying to represent all of South Asia or all, you know all the various characters and uh, because that's really impossible and. This is definitely from a point of view, from a Jala story point of view. Kind of speaking of that, there are a lot of different, like, cultures and different types of people depicted in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, like, y'all weren't looking to necessarily, like, we're representing everyone, we're going to tell everyone's stories. But, like, they are pretty detailed mm-hmm. and feel pretty authentic in terms of, like, being people. So how did you all go about, like, writing these characters and, like, finding people to kind of help you with the experiences that maybe weren't in your wheelhouse? You know, in a way, I think we kind of mostly focused on on experiences that, that we kind of had within the team, you know? And, mm-hmm. and frankly, that's also going back to what Eka said earlier, this is one of the joys of having a really diverse team with loads of different perspectives. You know, our, our, um, our South African suitor, um, we have Sunny on the team, who's a producer, who's South African, and like you know, partly we got to talk to talk to her and talk about her experiences, um, you know. Um, similarly, for experiences of being like non-binary and non-white, you know, we have we have like people on the team that can that can really kind of kind of speak to that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think I think really it's. Um, like a bunch of research, but also from like friends and family. And so we're really, I don't think there's any story here that's that we don't have some kind of like personal real connection to. And I think, and I'm really glad to hear that they, um, they work, right? Because again, it's not about, it's not about telling every story. It's about telling these specific ones. And this is the nice thing about making stuff up, Ty, is that we get to choose like what we can do well. Um, and when you have a diverse team, that means you can do a lot of things well, um, you know, and, and, and I do think, you know, as much as I do love this, this move that we're having towards things like sensitivity readers and consultants and stuff, I do think lots of us who are marginalized feel like, okay, that's great, but maybe that's not enough. We want to be telling our own stories and we actually want to see it at the table. And I think the depth that you can really bring, um, when, you have that expertise inside the team versus someone contracting or coming from outside. Um, you know, it's super different. I mean, so for instance, really tiny, in a really tiny way, um, Arani, Jala's oldest sister's fiance, uh, Ahmed, is Palestinian because um, Nadia, the, the junior writer on the team is, and, and the narrative designer on the team is Palestinian. And we wanted to kind of include that, you know, so similarly for all of the recipes, similarly for all of the, the other side stories, we're really drawing from from things we know um, and have experienced of. So, yeah, I just want to also add. I think we, you know, it's, we weren't completely sure we were doing it properly. I think when we first started casting and recording, um, there's you know 19 actors that we hired for the 21 roles in the game. Yeah, and the and the script, Magna and Nadia's writing. I think you know we internally were like, oh, this is really great. And but when the actors got, came on for their sessions, uh, like Tyler, um, Jala's big X and the X, you know, Christine who played Tyler came on and she was just like, Oh, I, I really identify with Tyler. This is me when I was younger. And that was like the best thing for us. Cause, and then, and the, and uh, I know Magnum when the first time we had Tyler, we had Christine, um, for our demo, you end up rewriting Tyler after, you know, and that's, that happens a lot too, where the, yes, there's writing and characters we come up with, but when we get the actors involved, we really end up writing for them because it's like, okay, we, we know what this character sounds like and what that, what that actor brings. And that really helps uh, solidify and make that character, I guess, more realistic. In terms and of- I mean, and, and that really goes back to the fact that we really, you know, we're, we're so committed to the idea of, you know, if we have, if, if this character is um, a black trans woman, it should be played by a black trans woman actor, you know? So, so in, in some ways like that is, a, I think we want to talk about that because it's like, look at the amount of talent. And I think the voice acting in the game is just so incredible. Um, and B, it's it's so great for, for kind of us on the creative side, because then you have yet another voice in the room who can come and say, oh, this line doesn't feel perfectly right. Or like, this is not really my experience. Or you just get, you know, someone to say, oh, yeah, this is my story as well. And it rings true, which 
um, you know, I think is, I think is just, it's just so helpful for us creatively. And yeah, we did lots of rewriting in the session as well. So for their voice, um, but also for their identity. I think that was really, um, that was something that was really, really struck us in the voice recording sessions. So almost every person we cast had some moment where they were like, oh my God, that's, that's me, or that's my cousin, or, oh my God, how did you know this about like one of my exes, you know, um, which is really great. So I think, I think, yeah, it's, um, goes back to that, that like diversity of perspective, um, and collaboration. And, and, you know, that was a big goal for us too, in terms of who we hired for the, for the roles. We want to make sure there was a cultural fit and character fit as possible. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would say you all did a great job. Like, I'm not a brown person, and I was like, damn, that's me. <laughs> right, because actually oh. in this specificity is a lot of universality, right? Um, yeah. You know? Uh, exactly. And, and also, it's, it's, it's fun to get to know other people. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. weird to say, but it's like, oh, that's kind of one of the pleasures of art is like <laughs> meeting people other than yourself as well as seeing yourself in it, so. Yeah, I just want to say, like, this is a, a pet peeve of mine. Ha you know, having grown up in the U.S., when, I moved here when I was eight and grew up watching and identifying and connecting with a lot of white characters. I'm like, it's possible. Like, I guess, <laughs> like there's humanity, even though I don't yeah, understand, I understand their life, as, you know, uh, intimately, that we, we thought, you know, we'd hope that people that are playing this game, because we, we see a lot of folks that you know sometimes say like well i'm not brown but it's like well no you're still human and you still have family and you have exes you know and you have relationships that you can identify with you don't have to exactly know the culture to identify with it this idea of oh this game isn't for me no it is for you it is for you <laughs> you know it is for you if you're white it yeah. is for you if you're straight it it's it's kind of do you yeah exactly do you have family do you have friends do you have expectations like do you know um, do you enjoy food? <laughs> uh, these are all quite universal um, kinds have of you, ideas. Have you ever skateboarded or played basketball? Right. I mean, and to be honest, like I don't skateboard or play, but but yeah, that's yeah another thing. So part of the reason, like skate skating, I think is also really in the game is also because of like Azo, who's who's our animator. We have it's Azo is is the animator for all of it. Which um, if you've played the game, you'll realize is quite unhinged. Because uh, there's so much beautiful animation in it. Um, but yeah, I mean, but it was nice for me to inhabit a skater girl for a while, you know? Like, that was, that's cool. Like, I, I could only but dream of being that cool, at, like, uh, at a, as a teenager, so. Jala's is definitely too cool in her fashion sense. It's, it's too cool. Yeah, Jala's is too... I feel like Jala gets away with a lot because she's really cool. Yes. <laughs> I mean, so I think that kind of goes back to another thing, right? Like... Uh, I mean, of, of course, we've had a recent wave of like uh, of, of this stuff with like, say, Bridgerton, things like that, right, where you see brown women, especially being desirable, but also brown men and, you know, like Dave Patel and, and all of this, like it's kind of happening. But mm -hmm. I think there's something so powerful, I think, to to portraying this cool, desirable brown woman that that it, that people actually want and lust after. Because, um, you know, for me, also, like, I grew up partly here in the UK, and I do really, you know, most of my classmates were, were, were white, and there was a real racialized feeling to feeling othered, um, and certainly not desirable, right? And you, you, I mean, I remember being, like, you know, 10 or 11, and, and kind of knowing that what was attractive was like blonde hair and blue eyes and that's like sorry i can't like there's no hair gel in the world that's gonna do that for me right so um i think there's i think there's something really <laughs> really wonderful there like um and it's been really nice to to have like particularly like brown women who are streamers kind of be like wow it's a horny hot brown girl simulator um you know and, and to be kind of able to play someone like yeah she does get away with a lot though um Though funnily enough, some people have also been like, you know, but I think actually the exes get away with more. Um, so I'm curious where you land on this. <laughs> You're like, hmm. How? How? <laughs> Empiric, where is the evidence? <laughs> <laughs> I love this. That means maybe we did our job so that people can fight about, like, who is more wronged about this. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, listen, like... I played the whole game. I fought Pati. Like the the exes are the exes are largely vibing. 
Quentin Johnson really? comes back and like kicks the door in and is like, hey, I'm back, bitches. <laughs> Apart from Sergio, who, like, obviously has been stalking her long distance somehow this entire time. Yeah, so, I mean, Sergio's delusional. He is blessed. Like, he's not even, like, doing anything wrong. He just, like, doesn't live in reality. <laughs> I, which I love. I love. That's great. Yeah, like, good for him. I aspire to that. Don't we all, in the year of our Lord 2020, whatever, like, we can't, too much reality, you know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's too much. That dude just has no relationship with reality <laughs> whatsoever. Were you tempted by him at the at the end, Ty? Like, were you like, oh yeah? No, <laughs> not me. Tell us about your ex. Like, yeah, like I have I have male attraction, but not to any of your y'alls. Unfortunately, you mm. had too many hot, terrible women. Correct. Like Dia, she's my favorite. Dia's Aka's favorite. Dia, the second Dia was on screen, I was like one of those old timey cartoon wolves <laughs> with the like eyeballs popping out and stuff. Pretty hot. It was not fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so it's so hard. I don't know. Like it's like really a toss up between Dia and Tyler for me. Cause like, come on, Tyler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I like Tyler got me just being like the ex. I was like, well, that's not fair. That's just like automatically you kind of win, but like uh, but Diaz is hot. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of Auntie Chandra fans too. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, Auntie Chandra not not quite my taste, but I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, there was Definitely a market. there was a there was a hilarious moment where I saw a streamer who was like, I think hadn't quite figured out the relationship between Jala and Arnie, and was like. Oh my god, Arnie, she's so hot. Can I date her? And I was like, no. No, you can't. Sorry. That's no. <laughs> Guys. No. no, no, no this no, isn't no. Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. There's so many hot women too. It's like you really could just pick somebody else. It's true. We did. I think we did well. You know, it's in the it's in the title. It's thirsty suitors. We've got to live up to that somehow. So exactly. It's yeah, really, it's the Irfan yeah. fans, I think, that I find the most troubling. Oh, I love that. I love that you don't like Irfan. Because that was, I think, early on. He's too wet. He's, he's, he's the, the, the good boy, right, in, in town. All the aunties love him. He's kind of a little bitch baby. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some people just want someone to step on. That's okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I get it. I want to be stepped on, though. So, like, correct. That's why, dear. Yeah. 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. It's great. I was playing. I I was playing at um, Thirsty with like a couple couple of my friends, and one of my friends is Indian, and she was like, "Oh my god, Dia sounds exactly like all the girls who bullied me in high school." And I was like, "Correct, <laughs> correct." <laughs> I mean, we talked about I mean, that. We, we yeah, we talked about the Mean Girls vibe. Yeah. Exactly. So, That's her know, whole thing. Exactly. But I've processed it, and now it's a glorious revenge. We can safely lust after the girls who bullied us in high school. So, <laughs> thank you, dear. I mean, Jala lusted after her at, at the time too. So messy, really. Yeah. Yeah, Jala. was something. <laughs> um, but yeah, I appre- I appreciate all of the messiness and the uh, thirstiness in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like, yeah, it's not, we don't get that brand of romance, I think, a lot in games. I think it's either, like, very idealized or very, like, toxic. <laughs> I mean, this is a little toxic as well. There's, there's definitely But that. it's, like, different toxic. Yeah. <laughs> Which, like, I would, I prefer new toxic. You know, let's mix it up. I, I, think, I think it's the... <laughs> Our approach was really definitely more adult type characters, right? Like there's 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 nuance. There isn't pure evil or pure good in each of the any of the characters. And they're people. They're complex people with complex feelings. Yeah, and I think as the game progresses, well, because like with with Sergio, it's like okay, your third grade feelings. How seriously can I take them? But like by the time you're at like I think Irfan onwards. I mean, there's also like Bruno, who's uh, also hilariously my friend was like how did you know that i dated all three of these people and i was like well, hadn't even met you then <laughs> yep I'm the malaysian fuck boy <laughs> not at all the stereotype honestly y'all should make a quiz of like which 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 of which one of your exes is 
We were talking about that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, this is this is a really fun thing about, I think, this game more than any other that I've worked on. If you watch someone stream it, you find out so much about their lives, like their own family histories, their own dating histories. So you kind of come away with uh, so much more personal information. I've ended up having so many conversations with colleagues as well, where they're like, oh my God, I carry my daughter up the stairs, just like dad does. And, you know, so um, I think there's some, you know, despite how over the top it is and magically real it is, there's something really like human and truthful. Um, it, it kind of functions a little bit as a dating quiz. You know, I wouldn't, I'd, I'd almost recommend you play this with like someone you're dating. You'll figure out so much about them. Yeah. I mean, we watch streamers talk about like, well, I can't, you know, it's like during the dialogue choices, they're like, I don't want to comment on this because it'll go away too much about my personal choices. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm definitely glad that I played it in the privacy of my home. <laughs> uh, I don't need to be outed on all these things. It's a work of fiction. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a work of fiction, but like, <laughs> it, it conveys some truth. <laughs> It conveys some lived experiences mm. for late 20s people, I think. <laughs> yep. No no comment. I definitely didn't date any or all of these people. <laughs> yeah, no. There I, was, I think. There was the, the Dala going to leave with her toxic ex thing. I was like, oh. <laughs> <Die>. <laughs> oh, gut, gutted at the function. <laughs> I think we found... People who are both entertained and emotionally challenged, which they're not used to in a game, um, kind of wrapped yeah. up together, which, which has been really good, too. Yeah, which kind of goes back to the, you know, because it's kind of more real in a way, right? Like, the why it's sort of more uncomfortable to play uh, this game, in a sense, because it is, I, I think, you know, we talk about, like, difficulty and challenge, but there's also, like, emotional, emotional difficulty and emotional truth, and this game is actually about emotional damage um in a in a kind of greater way and, and in some ways like the the kind of warmth of the world is really there to create this like safe space to to explore some like real real feelings um you know and to allow you to be a little bit like oh no that was a little too real that's a little too tr truthful uh but then hopefully you know then then dad allows you to fall asleep at, at the end of the day on his shoulder and you're like okay i'm a little soothed now also, shout out to dad for being able to carry his adult daughter up the stairs. Right? He's very strong. It's Auntie Chandra's work. You know, obviously, she's making him lift. <laughs> and Sergio. I mean, he works out with both of them. Sergio. <laughs> no, we don't need to give Sergio credit. Just the three of them at the gym. Honestly, that's the art you guys need, is the three of them at the gym. Oh, my God. Just, yeah. just Sergio. We've talked about all sorts of fan fiction with who the characters would be with each other, yeah. Yeah, yeah a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, I bet. I wanted to ask, too, um, Eka, I saw that you're also working on a card game version mm -hmm. of the game. So I guess I'm curious, like, how much of the initial Slay the Spire kind of mechanics and ideas are, like, going into the card game version? Yeah, we... we... It started with like a combat game, kind of Slay the Spire, but uh, I'm more, I, I've been just, you know, revising and messing around with it. And now I'm closer to like more of a love letter approach to Thirsty, which I think is a better fit because I wanted to try to find uh, a good story balance, a mechanical balance for a card game too. And it's more of a casual game, so I'm still messing around with it, but it's not like an official thing. I'm just, you know, been on break and uh, family's around, so I thought I'd mess around with a card game. Because Eka really, is vacation, unable to so stop I'm working. Do more game. Thank, thank you, Ty. Yes, please call this workaholic behavior out. <laughs> Listen, it takes one to know one. You know? No, but it's also sharing. You know, with I'm playing with my kids and you know, my, my brother-in-law and stuff. So it's like it's been fun to share that too. How did you all go about like doing the character concepts for the exes? Because they're all like very distinct kind of vibey people mm -hmm. yeah initially so we have uh vijay who's our concept artist any of the 2d art uh in the game it's all it's all him he's just he's a really really brilliant artist um initially when we started he and i were thinking about archetypes so it's like just general kind of more generic archetypes and then over time as we we're figuring out the story you know 
uh, we we use Mira, which is like this online visual collaboration uh, board, whiteboard essentially. And since we're all in, you know, all over the place, and I we typically just use that pin up a bunch of reference images of characters and people and archetypes and you know bits of stuff from like music videos that we like and and kind of throw into a board and start it starts pretty generic and then it as, as we just work through it you know it gets gets a little more specific in terms of like the costume and as magna comes is coming up with sort of the bios of the characters like it really really like vijay loves getting a write-up from magna that is like here's the character and he just just goes to town and a bunch of concept work and then we talk you know it just it it starts from an idea and then we just get more specific through the course of months um, till we feel like it's a unique character that fits the story as well and, and, and the need, needs of the game. It's, it's actually so fun because, you know, so just that Vijay loves getting work from me. I love getting work from Vijay as well because then, like, all of a sudden, all of these incoherent kind of ideas, the moment you have, like, a face or a vibe to go with, suddenly, like, or, you know, you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to throw out all of these character thoughts and, like, now here's the person. Like, I have it right here. And similarly, you know, when we were doing the demo, then having the actors' voices come in and then their kind of voice gets shaped. But I do also think there's there's such a there's such a like um playfulness to to how all of those characters came out like with bruno like i think initially we started with okay we want like a he's he's in, really into candy and sweets and you know we're like oh here's all of this like malaysian candy and then it was like yeah but what if it was also power rangers um yeah and like what if the world broke apart kind of midway through and then with irfan i think you know, as we kind of came up with that character concept, there was like, oh, what if it's like reverse He-Man? So instead of like Irfan transforming into like this big buff guy, it's like the tiger who transforms into it and like just carries Irfan around like a little baby. And, <laughs> you know? and, and it's this emotional like, shield, right? Yeah. 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 Exactly. So like within all of these, like it's almost like there's this real back and forth in like, especially with the animation and the art, it gets all really metaphorical and then that goes back into the work and, and, and kind of like back and forth. And then Ramsey, who's the, um, who does like the, the music for the game, just comes in and just does this kind of wildly amazing job. I saw someone actually talk about like how each of the suitors almost felt like a little music video of their own. And I, I, do, mm-hmm. I do really like that. And I think that was, that was kind of part of the thing. Like, and I think a lot, of the, a lot of the attacks and stuff are a little bit like 90s hip hop. R and B. Yeah, I mean that was intentional, right? Like each of the each of the exes when you start their battle, you go into their inner worlds, their their their, their idealized versions they're, of they're, themselves. They're so. And for each one, it was like, yeah, what, what if this was a '90s, you know, music video, and what did that, what, you know, what would that look like? And it's you know, like Dia's world is like a set, even though she's like a queen on the throne with her three mean girls um, sidekicks, like. It's this crystal palace that she's the queen of, and we wanted to really, really make it feel like a, you know, yeah, like a, like a big production for each of the, each of their mind palaces. Um, why did y'all decide to lean into the magical realism and like acknowledging the inner worlds in the game, like after you've uh, fought the exes and like, um, you know, people acknowledge them, and you even talk to like Dia's little uh, crystal <laughs> girls, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so what was, like, the thinking behind that? You know, I think, well, yeah, no, and, and Iga jumped in as well, but I think I think we really, because, the you know, the battles are so metaphorical, right? They're not really physical battles. They are metaphors for confrontation. Um, and there's there's this, I think, this, this desire to, like, I think in some ways you get to the truth so much more when, when it's, like, heightened um, and when it's this kind of surreal space. And in addition to that, we also have like this internal voice of your narrator. And I think a lot of it came came from that as well. So because like your narrator kind of breaks the fourth wall. And over the course of the game, I mean, these are spoilers for the game, like that negative self-talk kind of becomes greater and greater. And we, we actually do like a dream sequence where you kind of confront that. And then she starts like overtaking you and Tyler can hear her. So there's this real, I think, you know, there's this real kind of merging of like, um, inner self and outward self. And I think that helps place us in, in kind of Jala's, uh, Jala's kind of perspective, right? Because I think we're all, we all see the world um, in this kind of maybe slightly metaphorical way. And I think it just, it allows us, also we're really influenced by anime too. I think. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> because it's fun to fuck around. 
it is fun to fuck around. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's we we wanted to establish the rules in a way where like I think we you know, we started the game and this came in later actually. We didn't really have that initially, which we started in a fantasy ver- version of this um teeny bopper quiz that Della take that she's skating in and so we want to kind of establish sort of the, the the I don't know, there's no hard hard walls between reality and and fantasy and they kind of blend in between and we want to just kind of kept playing with that idea which which each of the, each of the suitors and going in and out of because like Megna's saying it's not physical battles it's like these discussions you're having with someone emotional heightened discussions when you emotionally dunk on someone exactly yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> metaphorically <laughs> Right. And, you know, and, and the battles are all about like mood and, and, and all of these things. But also there's there's something. So I think as we kind of kept going, it all got like really deeply psychological. Right. So mm-hmm. I think, like I did loads of reading about like internal family systems therapy and and kind of psychodrama and like role play. And so in some ways, like uh, there's there's a little bit of that. And, you know, and, and really the whole story with the narrator is really about like integrating your shadow self um and and kind of coming to accept all all of the parts of yourself that you've maybe like pushed away right um and i do think in some ways you know you could see each of the exes as like manifestation like p- versions of jala too you know there's a reading of the game uh that's like that as well um you know and even the and even all of the like the thirsty suitors that your grandma sends right are they are they really real or are they also like slightly metaphorical manifestations of your grandma like reaching into this world and, and kind of um uh messing with you um and i think it really goes with all of the other things like like how timber hills even downtown is this place that you can like skate around and traverse in this really heightened uh way like it's it's really a skate playground and how every single action jala does too like um, you know, when she's cooking, like washing her hands is this huge production that's like full of like martial arts moves and, and like flinging herself off different things. Like even taking off her jacket is like this kind of hugely like heightened metaphorical thing. So, um, yeah, I think the whole game like really plays with, with, uh, with reality. Yeah. We should talk about sort of like narrative design and, and like, you know, some of those things are just, Azo's like, oh, of course I'm going to animate hand washing this way. It's not like we di- we wrote that. Okay, make sure she does this heightened no. hand washing. <laughs> like no. no, it's like you know the game is going back to the game is a collection of you know what people bring bring to it on the team, and um, that's how you know a lot of the decisions just came out of. Oh, well, of course, I would do it this way because that's just the way I think about things. You know, from each of the team, and and that really, and we try to connect it through with the, with the narrative and the and the writing, to to hopefully make it all cohesive. At the end of the day, um, are we gonna get uh, any any future de- updates on on the bear man and his, and his <laughs> plots? Did did you Soundy. did you enjoy an anarchist revolution, or did you further entrench Soundy into grave power over Timber Hills and perhaps even the world? Uh, listen, uh, I may have made some poor decisions <laughs> when it comes to Soundy. Oh no! Okay, all right. <coughs> the kids in town, you know. All right. <laughs> yeah. Soundy's yeah. 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 voice actress, Puya, she initially auditioned for um, Patti, the grandma. And we liked the quality of her voice so much. We're like, what if we tried it with the bear? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She does a good job. That voice is like so creepy. the perfect amount of like iconic and creepy. Mm-hmm. Wild, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, we, we kind where of. Where did that subplot come from? <laughs> well, you know, I think. Uh... I think really we wanted to have, you know, because this is about intergenerational uh, relationships in a way, right? And Jala's kind of in her mid-twenties. And while she's challenging her parents and her grandma and feels like, you know, she has the right to kind of do that, we also want to have these kids where really are challenging Jala and her perspective as well. You know, and so there's, um, I think, you know, really, and, and it's really about like uh, this this kind of idea of... Um, in some ways, like this dying small town and returning to it. And what does it mean to be in community? Right. Um, and I do, th- and, and I really think uh, that's kind of the narrative we we're, were, we were kind of going for. Like a uh, Jala doesn't have all of the answers and she gets to be challenged by a younger generation um, so that it's not a full millennial fantasy <laughs> for the rest of us. Um, <clears throat> but also what does it mean to be, what does it mean to kind of, um, 
be in community and you, you really see also like it's a it's a venue where we see like Tyler's deep connection with the town um, and like all of these things that Jala has left behind and, and kind of things moving forward and then with Soundy I think Soundy is just in some ways it's a little bit of a, our little pinky in the brain moment and you know you just get to be a weird megalomaniac um, yeah <laughs> I mean I guess if you need a villain in a story right it's soundy. It's soundy. It's soundy. And, and also, so Nadia, um, who, who's, who's uh, the writer with me as well, um, is really familiar with, like, I think grew up around a lot of New Jersey crust punks. And so a lot of the kids and their their whole vibe is, is yeah, really Nadia working some stuff out. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, lots of the game is just venues for us to be like, ah, you know, you know, why don't we just throw this in there from our from my history? Yeah, I mean, a lot of this again. This is how just I guess in creative development happens in a project. We're just like, hey, this this skate the skate park is where Jala gets to you know relax and that's her her place. But now it's been taken over by these kids and Soundy, and, and it's really her tie. You know, she's doing these uh, favors for Tyler to try to. To get back on our good side and that's how it starts and then we get just get like well what if who's running the place and then okay well they're in a bear i don't remember how we came up with a bear suit but uh, oh i think I, I remember now but um i think i think it was really you guys like i feel like because i i remember the meeting where where like you arrived with so many bear puns and by the way i hate puns i i'm not and you did a great did a job great writing them you're you're, you're, you're like the you're best, like the pun, best bear punter punter now. now i think well you know that that's a testament to my professionalism <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean there's now a place called Barefoot Park and there's a giant mascot? Like, Right. So the idea with the park, I think, uh, you know, I live in Washington and, and this Timber Hills is it's definitely like a, a weird mix of some of the small towns in Washington. And Washington used to be a big logging community. And then uh, a lot of these small towns that like were formed around logging went out of business as, as some of the, you know, logging practices changed in the 90s and uh, I was like, well, what if this town, their last hurrah was to try to build a theme park and they ran out of money and that's how like the park came about and Soundy is taken from The Sound, which is the, the body of water in Seattle. So it's like a, a play on that. Oh, yeah. the Puget Sound. Puget Sound, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and I think there's yeah. also like a specific, I mean, can we even name the specific town? Maybe maybe we don't want to get in trouble with the members. Well, of it's a combination of, of small, yeah. small towns that I, I live nearby, yeah. Exactly, but there, there's towns that, that really have attempted to, to gain tourism and, and, and start theming themselves in some ways. And, you know, and there's, there's that, we have a, like a little subplot with, with, the, with the mayor because like Jala runs away with, with the mayor's daughter and there's some idea that maybe, maybe it didn't open because like there's, there's some kind of embezzling and, you know, so. Um, a lot of lore. Yeah. A lot yeah, of lore. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the cryptids really did found the town, so. Yeah, there you go. Oh, yeah. Bigfoot is there <laughs> in the woods. <laughs> Making you do skate challenges from the sewers. I mean, this, this game we definitely is a it's a hat on a hat. It's like, okay, let's have this thing. What if we twist it with this thing and twist it with this thing over? I think, you know, yeah. just having, just having the, time the time to figure, to figure it, out, it out, we end up going to weird places. Weird places. I think it's been really fun. Yeah, and I, and I think it, it's sort of almost a little bit of a love letter to like a whole bunch of like 90s kind of like pet cemetery and like where, you know, like there, there's, there's a lot of these yeah. like mm -hmm. kind of cult horrors that are just like a little bit silly, a little bit over the top, but they're all, they're really all about like, uh, um, the 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 creepy the inherent creepiness of small towns <laughs> yeah uh, it has a little bit of like goosebumps energy yeah. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. but like if you were gonna kiss people right <laughs> <laughs> where's the adult the goosebumps? goosebumps oh my god that's a great Listen, way to... i'm working on it there you go where is <laughs> or the young adult goosebumps yes yeah no no young adults i'm too old for that <laughs> <laughs> I'm almost 30, it's too late. <laughs> um, but I just want to ask both of you um, to, because I know, Eka, you've been in the industry for a really long time and kind of came from AAA and um, Meg, I know the, the 10th year of 80 Days is coming up. It is. Uh, next year. Um, which, first of all, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, but second, I kind of wanted to ask y'all from your opinions, like, how do you think indie dev has changed in these, like, past 10 years? And, like, how do you feel about the scene currently, I guess? Oh, wow. 
I know that's probably a loaded question. <laughs> Meg, you want Meg, you want to go? No, you should stop. You should definitely stop. <laughs> I mean, I think it's weird. Like it changed the industry. I feel like it changes every. I don't know console cycle every five years it feels like it's a different set of challenges i think it's always been hard to make games um but there's now I, the challenge these days is just getting people to care about the thing you're making i think that's been really hard there's so much like especially this year 2023 right like so many great games that i haven't even gotten to yet i'm still trying to catch up on them and just the amazing amount of talent out there and uh the tools have gotten better uh, accessibility with remote teams and collaboration across the world i think it's gotten better i mean at the same time there's a fuck ton of layoffs this year right like in tech in tech and games so it's like a weird whiplash effect it's like it's one of the most creative times in the industry but also like money hungry ceos making too much money and uh not enough jobs going around like it's it's a weird time so i think for us as as an indie studio of you know 14 15 uh, it's been like, okay, can we make a thing? Can we get it funded? Can we make it stand out? So like the theming and the story and uh, how we sort of a package a thing or what we're, what we're trying to say, I think is more important now than it was 10 years ago. You know, I think it's funny. Like if I, if I really think back to like when I started in the industry, like we have come so far. Like when I started in the industry, I think it really wasn't even usual to have narrative designers in-house in in AAA, certainly, right? And like that has changed. Um, the kind of, you know, like the thriving like indie and hobbyist scene has just resulted in like, you know, like this year, Thirsty and Venba came out, two incredibly brown games. Like that's that's kind of, you know, th this this is progress and this is change. And, and I think, you know, things like talking about colonialism, and talking about queerness, all of these, all of these kind of um, have have come more into into kind of the mainstream, but it just seems to be it. You know, I, I just feel like the space for this kind of creative work, and I think particularly for um, for for kind of indie work, is really is really kind of shrinking, and it, and it's it's wild to me that we're so bizarrely wildly profitable you know the games industry seems to be like growing and making record profits and yet we seem to not have job security and precarity so it's it's kind of it's it's really it's in some ways quite difficult to like say to younger people like um come come be part of this industry you know at at this at this kind of moment in time because are you going to be are you going to be like treated well um and is there going to be kind of space for your work so um and i think you know increasingly like power is being concentrated in fewer and fewer hands and that there are they're like the tastemakers of who decides what kind of games get funded and made what's considered viable and then you know what gets seen um so I, I think we're i mean again like this isn't we're not at a completely unique time but i do think that you know and you know you look at unity and you look at you look at all of these corporations and i and i really do think that um unless we kind of we do have some way of organizing against it and, and kind of collectively carving out kind of space uh, for this kind of work and the dignity of our work, you know, it's going to it's going to get much harder. And I don't know if we're going to enjoy looking at the industry in five or 10 years and seeing where we've gotten. And I think if we look at the film industry, that's really a little vision into our future, right? Like the novelization of everything, how everything is a kind of super superhero movie now um, and the space for interesting creative work being being really shrunk um and i think it that can really strangle an industry and we're still so young and there's still so much for us to for us to do but uh i think step one is making this industry a place where people can actually pay their rent doing creative work um yeah. you know so yeah exciting and terrifying basically mm -hmm. but yeah <laughs> Well, thank you all for your answers on that. I know that's kind of a tough question. I've pretty much covered everything that I was going to ask y'all. Is there anything else that you all wanted to talk about in terms of like the game or just anything? If you haven't played it, go play it. <laughs> Check yeah. it out. See what you think. Yeah. We have, in fact, covered it on yeah. an episode of this podcast that will come out <laughs> at some point. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Um, yeah, we have like four or five months worth of this podcast banked mm -hmm. right now so it's coming but we did cover it oh that's awesome 
No, I, I, I really love that. Yeah, I think, I think that's the thing is that especially you know, if people are listening to this podcast, they already care about indie games um, and they care about creativity and they care about the people who make them. So, yeah, I think, you know, play, play our work and, and champion it and, and support it and write reviews on Steam, like all of this stuff. Um, I think it really, it really matters to us because it really matters to the people who fund our work, <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and kind of that's, that's kind of. I think that that's really the reality of it. But yeah, um, I, I don't know. I think maybe maybe the thing to say is I feel really I feel really proud that we were able to make this game. And of course, like making any game is is kind of a, a, a massive achievement. They're 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 incredibly complex, difficult things. You know, Frank Lance called video games like it's like making operas out of bridges. And I, I do think it is. But but I'm really I feel really personally really proud to have put this. Um, into the world and I think it really it reflects our our values and our creativity um, and there's something there's something really like emotionally true about it um, and and it's quite human and and you know I I think that's that's not easy to do so um, I'm really proud of everyone on the team um, I'm so grateful for everyone who's played ditto <laughs> there you go well, I mean we, we we've talked about this for years you know even before we, this came out it's like you know regardless of what people think about it. I think, you know, we built it in the, in the right way with, you know, taking care of the team well. And also we were really happy with the message and what we tried to do in the game. I think we, you know, we accomplished everything we wanted to do, which is rare in any project is what the, you know, sort of the big ideas we started with, they all are in the, in the, in the finished, finished game, which is, you know, like it's a, like, like Megna said, it's a feat in itself to be able to finish something, but also be able to, Carry it all the way through production, uh, especially for a three-year project like this. We're really happy with it. I'm personally happy with it as well. And hopefully, it it, um, it inspires more folks to make weird, queer, wild work that that kind of you know speaks to them. Um, you know, because I, I think that's also as much as as much as we want to we want to make the work that we want to make. Um, I think I'm like we're all. We all want to see more work, more work mm -hmm. like this, um, yeah. and make it feel possible for people. So that's the real goal. This was definitely like the queerest year of like mainstream <gasps> indie games I've ever seen. So I'm like, long may it continue. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh wow, my job at Gaming Magazine is relevant this year. <laughs> Damn. This is like um, one of the first times I was at, uh, I think I've been going to GDC for about five years by this point. And the first time I had to, uh, I was in a queue for the women's bathroom. I was like, I was so touched. Like, honestly, I nearly started to tear up because I was like, oh, we've made progress. <laughs> you know? I have to queue for the ladies. <laughs> there are enough women here that I've inconvenienced. <laughs> exactly. Oh, and then and then I met a friend of mine who works in television and literally an hour after that and she looked around and she was like wow there's so many dudes here and I, you know and like and I was like oh shit <laughs> okay we have come Small far steps. <laughs> baby steps <laughs> baby steps <God>. yeah. <laughs> well I appreciate y'all coming by to chat with me um and I appreciate you for making your game thank you for both Thank you, oh, thank you. Um, but yeah, uh, where can people follow your work and find you all in that? Um, I'm on Twitter at Better the Mask. Yes, still on the, the dying site full of Nazis. It's kind of always me. Uh, everybody is. Everyone is. says they're not and they're liars. <laughs> I'm still going to call it Twitter. Till it's dead. It, it still is, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm still on there and, and uh, you can find me tweeting about leftist politics on twitter so um yeah sam i'm still on twitter at econaut e-k-a-n-a-u-t uh, still uh, in my bullshit on it uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep same here you can also find me on there at a loath keeper uh also by the time you're hearing this indie mixtape should have its own twitter account uh which you will be able to find in the description of the podcast because i don't know what it is currently mm -hmm. And yeah, but uh, thank you all again for coming and thank you for listening. And that's going to do it for this time. We'll see you next time for more indie games. Bye. Bye.